Welcome to the Curdverse. I'm Lisa Kaywood, corporate functionary by day, home cheesemaker by night. Today we're talking about spring cheese. No, not string cheese, even if you have a mega pack of the stuff, because that's the one thing your kid will always eat. Spring cheese, because here in the Northern Hemisphere, spring has sprung. You might be wondering what makes something a spring cheese. What difference does it make what season it is? Well, milk, like fruits and vegetables, is a seasonal product. And therefore, so is the cheese made from it. Now, I admit this tends not to be terribly obvious to those of us whose source of milk and other dairy products has always been supermarkets. That's because our food system, especially in North America, strives mightily for absolute consistency and conformance to a specific ideal in everything we eat. So we don't get weird-shaped fruits and vegetables in our stores, no carrots with three limbs, no Siamese twin tomatoes. Those occur in the field, of course, but they get sorted out and fed to livestock rather than being offered to human consumers. And similarly, large dairy producers work very hard to obscure the seasonal differences in milk from the average consumer. So it's always there, and when you pour yourself a glass of milk, it's the same every time. I've got a blog over on the website about how liquid milk producers iron out the variability for us. There's a link to it in the show notes. In reality, the natural composition of milk varies a lot based on two major factors, where the mother animal is in her lactation cycle and what she's eating. In spring, in much of the northern hemisphere, animals are transitioning from a lot of stored relatively dry feed to fresher food. And what that fresher food is, grass speckled with mountain wildflowers or fresh green shrubbery leaves, or fresh alfalfa and the stems and trimmings from spring fruit and vegetable crops. That varies a lot from one place to the next. What the animal eats affects not only the relative proportions of lactose, fats, and proteins, but also the flavor of the milk. In other words, milk and the cheese made from it can have terroir. And this terroir is most pronounced in cheese made in the warmer months when the animals get more of their food by eating the fresh grasses and other plants in their local environment. Let's take a virtual field trip, and I'll show you what I mean. Just about three years ago, I visited the island of Crete in late March. Crete is the largest of the Greek islands, a long, narrow rectangle with several groups of mountains forming a spine along the middle. The mountains are fairly high, 4 to 8,000 feet or 12 to 2,400 meters, and they drop quite rapidly down to the coastline. The higher elevations tend to be rocky, with sparse vegetation. Olive groves are nestled in valley corridors between the mountain groups, but otherwise there aren't that many trees. In the wetter northwest of the island, there's plenty of bright green grass at that time of year, and it contrasts sharply with iron-red soil. It's gorgeous. Elsewhere, grass is sparser, especially in the higher elevations and in the drier east, and it's heavily intermixed with all kinds of tiny little wildflowers and lots and lots of wild oregano and thyme, herbs with tiny leaves that spread flat across the ground, unbothered by the wind, and there's always wind. When you walk off-road in the spring, 
every step you take releases the scent of oregano. Crete, like most of Greece, is sheep and goat country. And the sheep and goats, they're everywhere, wandering all over the place, eating all of that oregano and thyme and wildflowers. One rainy day, we stopped for lunch on the central Lassiti Plateau to visit one of Zeus's cave birthplaces. There are several, scattered throughout Greece. He apparently was born several times. After the main dish of lemon-marinated roast pork, green beans, and fried potatoes, we were presented with more bread and a plate of fresh, spreadable sheep cheese that tasted just like sweet, fresh milk mixed with flowers and green grasses. It was fantastic. Now, further to the north and west from Crete, the French happily celebrate the arrival of the peak season for their little, fresh, lactic-set goat cheeses. It's not quite the same level of intensity of the annual Beaujolais release, but the focus on salads with the local goat cheese and artistic displays in cheese shops is pretty hard to miss. So these little goat cheeses include leaf-wrapped banon, cabecou, chabachou de poitou, chavignol, and so on. If you're wondering why those all sound very similar, it's because they're all derived from the French word for goat, chèvre. These cheeses are often the size of a hockey puck, or maybe two stacked one on top of each other, so they age quite quickly. The young ones are typically eaten at 10 to 14 days old, so you can really taste the character of the fresh spring milk. By the time they're about a month old, they've typically dried out enough to be pungent crumbling or grating cheeses. These goat cheeses are made all over France, from the lower Alps to the Atlantic coast and from the temperate, well-watered plains of the Seine and Loire valleys in the north to the warmer and drier regions of Provence and the lower Rhone. And they're made from a bunch of different goat breeds whose milks all have slightly different properties. They graze on very different plants. The game then with these goat cheeses is to taste for terroir. If you happen to be in France in the spring or early summer, congratulations, because in many cases, the AOC versions of these cheeses are made with raw milk and aren't available in the U.S. On the other hand, higher-end U.S. cheesemongers, many of whom do mail order, by the way, carry pasteurized versions of the same cheeses, and American cheesemakers are increasingly making their own versions as well. Now, the reason we associate lambs with spring versus, say, calves is because sheep and goats are very strongly seasonal breeders. In sheep and goats, fresh pasture and the breeding cycle usually line up pretty neatly. That is, they only come into heat for limited periods during the year, usually late summer, early fall, and again six months later. They're pregnant for about five months, 150 days, give or take a few, and give milk for six, seven, maybe eight months. This whole cycle appears to be driven by ambient light levels, and so exactly when the breeding season is varies a bit by latitude. Traditionally in Mediterranean regions, where the weather is relatively temperate and there's a reasonable amount of food available year-round, farmers would sometimes divide their herd in half, breed half of their animals in the fall and the other half in the spring, and that way they'd have milk available year-round. But most of the time, especially in the more northerly latitudes, the kids and lambs start showing up in March and April, and they and their moms go out and eat fresh pasture throughout the spring and summer, and then things start winding down in the late fall. Cows, on the other hand, aren't particularly seasonal. In fact, even their wild predecessors, the aurochs, seem not to have been seasonal breeders either. Cows' pregnancies last about as long as humans, and they also lactate for several months longer. So this is why, given sufficient feed, you can have a relatively consistent supply of fresh cow milk throughout the year if you have a large enough herd that you can stagger the breeding. But even when you have milk available throughout the year, 
the nature of that milk varies quite a lot. So far, I've been talking about the fresh herb and wildflower flavors that can sometimes come into play in spring milk. But there's another feed factor that also contributes to the particular nature of spring cheeses. Fresh spring pasture is high in water content, and that in turn contributes to the higher moisture content in the milk relative to the solids. Spring cheeses often feel creamier in the mouth, not because they're higher in fat, fat content is actually relatively low in the spring, but because of the greater moisture content. In fact, because of the high moisture content relative to solids, spring is the time the animals produce the greatest volume of milk. In Anglo-Saxon England, May was sometimes known as three milking month because the animals had so much milk they could be milked three times a day. Fat and protein content isn't only a matter of feed, though. It also relates to where the animal is in her lactation cycle. There's a link in the show notes to an article that goes a bit deeper into the relationship between these things. But just briefly, the highest percentages of milk fat, and usually proteins and other solids as well, are usually found in colostrum. That's that clear, kind of sticky, honey-colored liquid that animals give just right after birth. And then it's followed by a decline during the first two months of lactation, and then a slow increase again as lactation progresses. In addition, the types of fats present within the milk shift over the course of lactation. During the first half of lactation, the proportions of short and intermediate chain fatty acids increase, and the proportion of long chain fatty acids decrease. I talked about what the shorter versus long chains mean for us as consumers of milk products in episode four. Spring and summer milk fat is more supple. It doesn't clump or harden as much when it separates out of the milk, and it's easier to blend back in when it does. So even though there are fewer solids, and that's what the cheese is made out of, it's made out of the solids in the spring and summer milk, it tends to be easier to make a high-quality cheese with it. Okay, so far I've talked mostly about soft, fresh cheeses made in the spring, and they're popular because it's the best way to show off the fresh flavors of the spring milk. But there are many harder cheeses that are made in the spring and bear those same springtime flavors in the milk, the wildflowers and fresh herbs. These include Cretan Graviera and some Spanish Manchegos. They're aged at least four to six months, sometimes much longer, so they're not spring cheeses in the sense of when you might eat them. From a consumer standpoint, they're a little reminder of spring, balanced with some of the nut and caramel flavors that often come with age. And they reach you in the late fall or winter. On the other hand, there are also a number of harder mountain cheeses that are made in the summer and are matured throughout the winter and just become available early in the following spring, such as Cantal, Oso Irati, and Salaire. So the fun news is, if you want to put together a nice cheese tray featuring, say, all the cheeses that are at their best right now in spring, you can easily choose a nice variety of softer and harder cheeses. I'll talk more about seasonality and other considerations when it comes to cheese trays in a future episode. In the meantime, I'm going to be taking a field trip for a couple weeks, a real one, not a virtual one, to Spain and Portugal. Officially, the trip has to do with my corporate functionary duties, but I'm sure I'll find a way to connect to some cheeses while I'm there, and I'll report on my findings when I get back. So please join me again next time as we once again enter the Curdverse. (laughs) 